1990, NASA launched the Hubble t- Space Telescope. How many of you are familiar with the Hubble Space Telescope? They were super excited about this space telescope because when you exceed the Earth's atmosphere and you start to take pictures of what God has created in the universe, you can get really, really accurate, clear pictures because there's no interference from the atmosphere in the way. So they launched this satellite. It's not the first one, not going to be the last one. I think there's another one coming in uh, 2021. And they were super excited to start getting the images back. When they first started getting the images back, they realized that there was a problem because this is what the images looked like when they first got them back. They were blurry. Now, you might be thinking, hey, what's the big deal? Because they're taking pictures of things really far away. But the problem was there wasn't supposed to be this type of blurriness with the new technology because they had ground the mirrors and ground the lenses on this bad boy to be absolutely perfect. But what they forgot about was that they were grinding them here on Earth and that this telescope would be up in space and the difference in the atmosphere would change the way the lenses worked. And so they realized right away that they had something called mission failure. How many of you know if you launch a satellite into space to take clear pictures of space and they come back blurry, you have mission failure? And so they immediately devised a plan because this uh, space telescope was actually designed to be serviced over years. It wasn't like we were just going to launch it up and leave it there. We actually planned space missions to rework this satellite. In fact, the very last space shuttle mission went to this satellite to do one of its scheduled repairs. But three years later, in 1993, they launched a, uh, a rescue mission to make sure that this billion-dollar thing that's floating around the atmosphere actually did what it was called to do, fulfilled its mission. And so they tried to figure out all these different ways that they could fix the lenses. Can we take the lenses out? Can we put new lenses in? How do we figure this out? And what they actually discovered was it was going to be too difficult in space to accurately take the lenses out and put them back in because they have to do it with a spacewalk. And the astronauts have those giant gloves and that whole big deal. So you know what the fix was that they determined? They gave the Hubble Space Telescope essentially glasses. Seriously. They, they said, here's the, here's the correction that needs to happen. Let's put a lens in front of it so that it, we get a, the right view, the right focus, and here's what the pictures look like now. A little bit clearer, but do you know over time as they kept perfecting what they did and working on what they did, they went from mission failure to mission success. Take a look at the pictures that we get from, space, uh, from the Hubble Space Telescope now. Pretty spectacular pretty spectacular what we can do when we know what our mission is and we continue with it. Here's the thing. As much as NASA experiences mission failure, we experience mission failure every day. Yesterday, my mission was to get from my house, drop my daughter off at my parents' house, pick my mom up, and take my mom and me to a performance of the Nutcracker that my daughter was in. And I had an hour and a half, and I left on time to do it. And I came this close to mission failure because McDonald's drive-through was experiencing missions failure. <laughs> I decided it would be a good idea to stop and grab her dinner on the way because that would be the quickest way to accomplish my mission. But because McDonald's made me wait for 28 minutes for a happy meal and a hamburger, I just about experienced mission failure. It happens all the time to all of us. We experience mission failure because there's obstacles in our way. We experience mission failure because the people that we work with are not cooperating in working with us. We experience mission failure because there's accidents that happen. There's all different reasons why we could experience mission failure, but I think the one that is the most critical for the church, for you and me to understand, for us as a body and each one of us individually to understand, the most critical one and the one that there is absolutely no excuse for and is unacceptable is mission failure in the kingdom. Because the truth is this, Jesus came on mission. Jesus gave us a mission. And we've got to understand, first, what that mission is, and second, give ourselves over to that mission. Because if we don't, we will experience mission failure. During a visit to NASA Space Center in 1962, 
President John F. Kennedy noticed a janitor cleaning with a broom. And so he was taking a tour of this facility. He interrupted the tour. He walked over to the man. He said, hi, I'm Jack Kennedy. What do you do here? Well, Mr. President, the janitor responded, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. This janitor understood what his mission was. His mission was not to wake up every day and make sure that the floors were clean at NASA. Although that was part of his job. That was the the micro of the macro. But he understood that he lived in a system. He worked in a system. That he was part of a system that had a mission. And nothing less than getting a man on the moon was was, uh, mission accomplished. And he understood where he fit in that. And he said, my job is to get a man on the moon. Here's the point. No matter how small or how large your role is, no matter what you came in here with today, no matter how broken you feel or how empowered you feel, no matter how old you are or how young you are, each one of us has a role within the larger story that's unfolding around us. Each one of us is critical to the mission that Jesus has given us in this church and in His church. You have a role in your family, in the mission of your family. You have a role in the mission of this church. You have a role in the mission of the church at large to see God's kingdom advanced and His purposes advanced. And here's the thing. If we're going to accomplish our mission, we have to know our mission. In order to know our mission, we have to know the mission that Jesus was sent on. How many of you know Jesus had a mission? And the truth is this, if he had a mission, then we have a mission. Because here's what we're talking about. Over the last, last week, this week, and Lord willing, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how Jesus was sent. Last week we talked about how Jesus was sent in love, and that we've been sent in love. We took our our core scripture, if you weren't here with us, we'll just go over it very quickly. We took our core scripture from John 3, 16 and 17, which says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world or to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved or to save the world through him. Jesus was sent because God loved us. And he sent us into the world, he sent Jesus into the world to demonstrate that love, but he also sent him on mission. We know that he sent him on mission because Jesus was obsessed with his mission. Jesus was obsessed with accomplishing his mission and sending us on his mission. Because not only was Jesus sent on mission, but we were sent on mission. We went over this last week, but it's worth going over again. Jesus, right before he went to the cross, as he was meeting with his disciples, as he was having that last intimate encounter, as he was praying for his disciples, made sure that they understood that he came on mission, but also that they were sent on mission as well. As he was praying for his disciples, in John chapter 17, verse 18, he said this. He said, you sent me into the world, speaking to the Father. He said, you sent me. And he says, I have also sent them into the world. And we know that this was important to Jesus because right after his death by crucifixion and his resurrection, as he appeared to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21, he greets all of his disciples together for the first time that we have on record in the book of John. And he says to them right away, he says, peace to you. But then he says this, as the Father sent me, I also sent you. See, Jesus was so intent on us understanding that he came on mission from the Father and that we have been given that mission as well that he bookended the most important historical event in the universe with, this is why I'm here, I've been sent, now you're sent. And he bookended both of those with the same thing. You're sent just as well. And the truth is this, Jesus was sent on mission. He was sent to live on mission Want to hear the good news about living on mission? Feels good to live on mission. Have you ever spent a lazy Saturday doing nothing and you feel like garbage at night? But have you ever spent a day in hard work accomplishing something and at the end of the day, as tired as you are, you feel really good because something was done? We all have those moments in our lives. I just I love little tasks that, that give me immediate gratification. I, I love to cut my son's hair. 
because I'm getting better and better at it, but also because they look sloppy when they start and they look sharp when they're done. In fact, one of my sons tells me all the time, stop telling me I look handsome. Now, I'm telling him he look hands- looks handsome because it's good for him, and he does look handsome, but I'm also kind of like just complimenting myself. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? We love these things that have an immediate effect on, the, on the, the, the world around us. And the truth is this. Living on mission has an effect around us that is good for us. Jesus highlighted this in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. He has, a, he has an encounter with a woman that most people think he should not be on mission to reach. In fact, it was very unusual at that time period for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan or even speak to a Samaritan woman alone. But what happened was Jesus was at a well. His disciples went away into the town uh, and Jesus was left alone with the woman. And he has this encounter with her. And the scripture says this, that when the disciples came back, they're thinking about what they were on mission for. See, they went into the town to buy food. And so when they come back to Jesus, verse 31, they urge Jesus to get something to eat. And I love what Jesus says. I can almost hear him kind of muttering it under his breath, like in the know about something that the disciples have nothing and no understanding for. They said, hey, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. It's just one of those statements of Jesus. You're like, what? They're like, Did you, like are you one of those people that like, hides food in your pockets? Anybody see that, that, that uh, statement that's going around where that little kid identified their pockets as snack holes? How many of you think your pockets are snack holes? I love that, that, that thought, right? The disciples are like, Jesus, do you have some snack holes we don't know anything about? Like, what's the deal? You sent us in for food. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I have a f- kind of food you know nothing about. And then in verse 34, he explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. If we're going to talk about living on mission, here's what we have to know. This is not a message to guilt anybody into anything. This is a message to send us, set us on fire for the thing that gives us life. If you want to live a life that's fulfilled, if you want to feel nourished in your spirit, nourished in your soul, nourished in your actual physical body, there is nothing like living on the mission that God has given us to live on. Oftentimes, and you're all looking at me like this now, when we talk about mission, everybody kind of like, like takes a deep breath or a gulp. You're like, here we go. It's going to tell me i got to do something else. How many of you like performance reviews at, at your work? Some of you like them because you're excellent. You live on mission. Some of you live in great cultures that encourage you to do this or work in great cultures that encourage you to do this. Others of us don't like it because all of a sudden there's other things to do. But what those are, essentially, if they're done well, are check-ins on whether or not we are accomplishing the mission for which we exist. And this message this morning is not to, to, to uh, guilt anyone or to add to but it's simply to check down, are we living on mission? And the truth is this, if we're living on mission, it's good for us. You don't believe me yet. It nourishes us. It sets our life on fire. It gives us a passion of God, and it literally nourishes our spirit, our soul, and our body. Living on mission is rewarding, but here's the truth, and here's why all of us are uncomfortable right now. Living on mission is work. I have children that don't like to do work. Some of you, and me at times, don't like to do work. Especially when we think we're not supposed to have work to do for that day. Right? Have you ever woken up thinking, hey, it's the weekend, I get to spend it how I want, I I can do whatever I want, and then your husband or your wife says, here's the agenda for the day? How many of you just receive that with the utmost joy? The fruit of the Spirit just comes bursting out of, your, out of you. Let's do this. Living on mission is work. I have children that when I say, hey, it's time to do this, empty the dishwasher, load the dishwasher, sweep the floor, sometimes they say things like, this is the hardest thing in the 
universe. It's too hard. I can't do it. And here's what, want a little bit of free parenting advice? If they think it's hard to do, you give them more of it to do because then the stuff you give them won't be hard to do. Right? Because the truth is this. It's not that hard to do dishes. Right? It's not too hard to sweep the floor. There's other work that's harder than doing that. But sometimes we do the same thing with God. When God comes and presents to us, hey, here's the mission. We go, God, I can't do it. It's too hard. We're going to talk about the mission that God's called us to live on. We're going to talk about how it's worthwhile and how God meets us in it. But here's the truth. It is hard work to do it. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17. Sorry, John 5, 17. He said, my father's always working and so am I. Do you know literally the Bible has my, the Hamlin family motto in it? The Hamlin family motto is it's always a work day at the Hamlin house. Now I get it, there's Sabbath and all that kind of stuff and we need to rework our saying because it's not biblical. Like every day except for the Sabbath is a work day at the Hamlin house. But Jesus said, even on the Sabbath he was working. In fact, the setup for what he's saying here was Jesus had healed a lame man on the Sabbath. And it wasn't so much that he had healed the lame man on the Sabbath, but he actually told him to work. Here's the setup. Jesus comes, he finds a man who has been uh, crippled for, I believe, eight years. And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And the guy's like, well, I do, but I don't have the way to do it. And so Jesus literally just says to him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And as he said it, he was healed. And so the man, being obedient to Jesus, who was, by the way, living on mission picks up his Mac and starts walking around it. But the religious people around had a hard time with that. See, they had, they had a mission for this man's life. They had a mission for their life. They had an understanding of what their lives were supposed to be. And one of the parts of that mission was to keep the Sabbath holy, but they misunderstood the way God wanted them to keep it holy, and they spent it adding all these different rules about what Sunday sh- or what Saturday should look like, what the Sabbath for them should look like. And when Jesus healed a man and the man stood up and walked, lived on mission, Jesus literally told him, stand up, roll up your mat, walk, and he's living on mission, they get a little upset. They get a little upset. Why is this man working? Why are you working? The Jewish leaders, it says in verse 16, began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. And so he says, I'm always working. But he doesn't just say, I'm always working. He says, my father is always working. And so am I. In fact, this statement didn't just make them angry. It made them angry to the point of murder. It says, the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. Jesus, in this encounter, gives us an understanding of what a mission's lifestyle should look like. I want to read it for you, and we're going to talk about it very briefly, and then we're going to see how our mission is given to us by Jesus as well. Here's what it says. We'll start in verse 16. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father's always working and so am I. And so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Verse 19, so Jesus explained. He says, listen, you don't understand, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works in healing this man. Then you'll be truly astonished. Just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he's given the Son absolute authority to judge, so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me will have eternal life. They'll never be condemned for their sins, but they've already passed from death into life. And I assure you, the time is coming and is indeed here now when the dead will hear my voice and the voice of the Son of God. And those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he's granted the same life-giving power to his Son. And he's given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. So don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil 
will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me and not my own will. I want to share with you just briefly five things that Jesus says about living on mission. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, it'll be brief. Five things. First is this. Living on mission will bring opposition. People will not understand when we live on mission. Because the truth is this. Most people, even other Christians, don't know what the mission is that God has given us. They live in mission ignorance. And so when you, when you decide that you're going to give to your church, your family might not understand. The culture around you might not understand. There are people that might actually hate you because you give to your church. Some of you have experienced that. When you come to church or go to your small group or talk about Jesus, people will misunderstand. In college, my nickname was Beef. That's a whole other message. But I remember one person going, Beef, you're so religious. Why are you always going to your religious cult meeting? Or there goes Beef to his religious cult meeting. I went to Thursday night worship once a week. But the culture around me didn't understand. And now we think we have it bad in this country when people just simply don't understand or might not like us or think that we're weird because we live on mission. But here's the truth. Sometimes and currently in some places, living on mission is costing people their lives. We have an enemy that's not just looking to make us feel bad about following Jesus. We have an enemy that's looking to destroy us. And so you and I, as we give our lives to live on mission, will face opposition. We'll face it from religious leaders. We'll face it from our culture around us. We'll face it from our family. And the truth is this, we probably will even face it from some of our brothers and sisters. Why do you live so radically for Jesus? Living on mission brings opposition too. Living on mission honors God. Living on mission honors God. Look at verse 23. It says this, So that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. How do we honor somebody? How do you honor somebody who gives you a job to do? You do it well with all your heart. And the truth is this, as we give our lives to the mission that God has called us to, as we hear his voice and put what he says into practice, we bring honor to God. We bring honor to the Son. The problem is, oftentimes we don't live our lives in such a way. We're selfish and narcissistic. Well, at least I'm selfish and narcissistic. We, we wake up some of us are real spiritual. We wake up and we're ready. We're ready for our assignment during the day. God, what's my assignment? We have our quiet time and we're all jazzed up and ready to see the kingdom of God break out everywhere all around us. And then halfway through the day or five minutes into the day or ten minutes after we walk out the door from this place, we are living on our own mission again. I've got to get home so I can get the food made so I can watch the game. No offense to anybody who's wearing Bill's gear. I want to go home and watch the game too. But my mission is to get into my easy chair and take it easy. But what's God's mission? For me and for my family. Is God's mission that we have no fun? No, Jesus was accused of having too much fun. Like some of us when we hear talk about mission, we just think of a really boring life where all we ever do is pray and tell people about Jesus. And we think that that's really super boring. Jesus has called us to the most amazing life we could ever imagine. The most excitement we could ever think about. But it doesn't come as we just serve and seek our own will and our own purposes. It comes as we honor God by finding out what he has for us to do and giving ourselves over to it. The problem is a lot of believers don't honor God well at all. We don't live on mission. And so when people look at us, they're like, why would I want to be like, a, like you? Why would I want to be a believer? Why would I want to follow this Jesus? You don't look any, any better than anybody else. In fact, sometimes Christians look worse 
Because we're living in two worlds. We're trying to fulfill what we think is the mission of God, but we're also trying to fulfill our own mission. That's what happened to the religious leaders around him. They weren't bringing honor to the Father because they thought they were. They thought they were. They really, honestly, truly thought they were bringing honor to the Father. They said, we have found out what he wants from us and we're giving ourselves over to it. And what it did is it, com- it caused them to completely miss the purposes of God. Jesus was living on mission right in front of them and they couldn't see it. But if we stop and say, Jesus, what is it that is your mission? As we honor him, it brings him honor as we honor him by living. Living on mission honors God. For li- living on mission, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Living on mission requires intimacy. That was actually two. You can make it three. Living on mission requires intimacy. Look at verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father's son does, the son does also. Living on mission requires intimacy. This would have been a really good point to preach before the point I preached before it. They kind of flowed, but sometimes you miss your notes. Are we on the same page, though? Living on mission requires intimacy. We cannot know what God's asked us to do unless we watch what he's doing unless we hear his voice. Have you ever had an argument with somebody that you work with or that's in your family because you both are on the same mission but you have very, very different ways of getting it done? And you realize like halfway through, don't hit, don't hit him, Sue. I wouldn't have said anything, but it was really loud. It was just really loud. Did he deserve to get hit? Okay, should we talk later? Okay, Rob, Rob, come and see me afterwards. We can repent down here. This is how, this is how, this is how we get to misunderstandings, right? First of all, we have to stop and say, what mission are you on? Sometimes the fight is because we're on different missions, Right? I want this and you want this and we're going in a separate direction. That's going to create conflict every single time. But oftentimes we're on the same mission. Have you ever had one of those arguments and fights and you realize you're both saying the exact same thing? You're saying it different ways? Listen, if we're going to live on mission, it's going to require intimacy. Intimacy is, a, is seeing God for who he is, hearing what he's saying, and, and rechecking in. Because as we do that, we, we, we become more understanding of what that mission is. Because sometimes there's mission creep, right? If I'm walking in this direction, and this is the direction that God asked me to walk, if I just deviate like a degree, it doesn't look that bad right here, doesn't look that bad right here, doesn't look that bad right here, it starts to look really bad right here. And so it requires a constant intimacy and communication and checking in. Jesus said, I only do. How many of you get instructions and like 30 seconds later you're like, wait, wait, what were those instructions again? Yeah. It requires a content, constant intimacy with God if we're going to live on mission to recheck and recheck and recheck and he's faithful to do that. Four, living on mission is life and death. Living on mission is life and death. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They'll never be condemned for their sins, but have already passed from death to life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he's granted that same life-giving power to his Son, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We have been sent just as he is sent. If we don't carry the life of God and the mission of God out, there are people that will go to, the, to eternal death and separation from God. See, oftentimes when we, when we come to church, it's all about me, it's all about 
a great life and doing what God's asked me to do and having you know, God's presence with me and it affects our family and all, all those things are true. But we miss the point that there's a world that God has sent us to and if we don't go, if we don't live on mission, people will die. And that shouldn't give us shame and guilt. That should give us hope. Because Jesus didn't come and say, well, uh, I've been given the power over death. He says, I've been given life. Listen, you carry life with you wherever you go when you live on mission. Can I be real open and vulnerable with you? (laughs) You're like, I don't know, maybe. Let's see what you have to say. I don't like death. I hate going to hospital visits. I don't like going to funerals. I don't like going to wakes. The reason why I asked you for permission to be vulnerable is because some of you are going to look at me as a bad pastor for that because I show up to those things. But my not wanting to do it and hate it is a bad understanding of the mission that God has called me to. Because the truth is this, every time I walk into a hospital room, it's not Pastor Josh that walks in, it's the Spirit of God and life that walks in with me. Every time I walk into a funeral home or a funeral and I'm encountering an atmosphere of death, I don't bring an atmosphere of sorrow with me, I bring an atmosphere of life with me. And the truth is this, that's not a pastor thing, that's a child of God thing. Everywhere you go, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you bring life with you. And so it's not like it's life or death and, and, and it's death is going to win. Listen, life is going to win. But we've got to live on mission for it to win. If we never engage in it, we won't bring it with us wherever we go. Five, living on mission requires surrender. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of one who sent me and not my own will. Jesus himself was submitted to the Father in terms of mission. In fact, we know that he would have rather have done it in another way. If there's any other way, right before he went to the cross, God, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, let your will be done. If we're going to live on mission, it's going to require a surrender first of our will. And that's a powerful thing. Have you ever surrendered your will temporarily? I was trying to teach one of my children the other day um, how to win with their, with their siblings. And it was a powerful lesson because this, this child was listening to me. You're going to tell me how to win with my siblings? Because you know how like, you have a fight with your siblings and you come out on the losing end often. And he, 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 he keeps coming out on the losing end when it comes to my, like when it's time for me to enter in, right? So they're doing their own thing for a little while and all of a sudden dad has to come in and take care of it. I said, so listen, if you want to win with your siblings, you've got to give up sooner. You've got to be kind sooner. And my child said, do you mean if I'm just kind once, I'll win? I said, no, this is a long-term commitment. (laughs) But it's a surrender of the will, right? If we're going to live on mission, we cannot live on our own mission constantly. It's not a one-time deal, God, I surrender my will to you, and then I get to take it back up again. It's the ever-daily surrendering of our will to Jesus. Jesus not only talked about what life on mission would be like, he actually defined his mission for us. How many of you would like to know the mission that you've been sent on? Jesus said this in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've actually misquoted this scripture before. Many of us have. We talk about the thief or the enemy or Satan. 
The truth is this. Jesus, when he says the thief comes to kill and destroy, was not talking specifically about Satan. In the context of the scripture, he was talking about religious leaders who are leading people astray. Religious leaders who have a plan and a purpose, a mission for us to live. He was actually criticizing the religious leaders around them. In fact, they get a little upset about it. Right before he says this, he says, listen, you guys are blind. Like, you're, you're saying we're blind? He says, oh yeah, you're blind, let me tell you. And then he tells this whole thing about the good shepherd and his sheep. And at the end of it, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. The false teachers, the false leaders are under the influence of the enemy for sure, but they have an agenda for your life. They want to steal you from the mission of God. They want to remove you from that mission. They come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Let me define it this way. When I read about life, I read about the presence of God. How does life come? Life comes because Jesus was sent. I've come that they may have life. We have life in encounter with Jesus. Right? Every time we open his word, and we're not just reading it to read it, or reading it to get a principle to fight somebody else, when we're reading it to encounter God, we're changed. Every time we worship him in spirit and in truth, we're transformed as we encounter him. What, what, what encounter, what life comes to people as they encounter Jesus? Presence comes. That's literally what encounter with Jesus is. It's presence. What comes from presence? Salvation comes. Healing comes. Eternal life comes. Redemption of the brokenness in our lives comes. Jesus came to give us life. He came to give us himself. He came that we might encounter him. He said, I'm going to break through all of this religious stuff that has been piled on and built on and built on. I'm going to break through it, and you're going to be able to encounter me face to face. He came to give us life, but he also came to give us life to the fullest. What that means is overflowing or abundant life, more than we could ask, more than we could imagine, more than we deserve. Jesus came to give us life to the fullest. How is life to the fullest found? Life to the fullest is found as we walk with him. I came to give you life, encounter. I came to give you life to the fullest. Walk with me. See, here's how, let me explain it this way. How many of you ever come to this altar and you've had an encounter with Jesus and your life is literally changed? Healing, deliverance, freedom, restoration. It's one of those things. Freedom from addiction. Forgiveness of sins. Those things are real. But here's the problem. As charismatics, sometimes we live for that. We keep looking for altar moments where God breaks in. God does it. It's real. But how many of you know, sometimes when we walk out, 10 minutes after we walk out, we're right back into the same stuff we were in before. If we're going to live life, experience life, and live life to the fullest, outside of these doors, there's got to be a way to live. And what I'm saying is this. God has called us not only to have encounters with deliverance, but he's called us to live a life of discipline, a life of discipleship. A life according to the commands of God. And as we do that, it's not the commands of God that make us holy or special or give us life specifically. It's those things that lead us towards him on a regular basis. A life of discipline encounters God all the time. A life of a disciple, a life walking with him, encounters him over and over and over again. And as we encounter him over and over and over again, our lives are given to us and we live them to the fullest. Jesus has called, he said, I have come to this earth that you might have presence and you might follow me. That I'd be with you and you could follow me. Those are, that's the mission of this church. If you've been around here long enough, you know this. We live for presence and we live to make disciples. Jesus called us to live on mission. In fact, he said it in Matthew chapter 28. He said, I come to, that you may have life and have it to the fullest. But in Matthew chapter 28, he says, I want to send you. We're going to end with this if the worship team can come. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus is about to leave. He gathers his disciples together. And he's, the scripture says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember when Jesus and John says, I've been given authority by the Father? 
to judge. I've been given authority over life and death. He comes to his disciples. He says, hey, listen, I'm leaving, but here's what I'm saying. I want you to understand this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, in other words, here, you take it. Understand this. If we go in the mission of God, we go with all the authority of heaven and earth. But that authority has been given not so that we would stay where we are, but that we would be willing and able to go on mission. How many of you look at the mission that God's given you and you're like, it is impossible for me to do? How many, how many of you, you, you think you got the system down where you can bring life and life abundantly to people around you? And yet Jesus said that's what we're called to do. So he says, listen, if you're going to do this, understand, you're going in my authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go, live on mission. Understand this, saints. You and I have the ability in Jesus to bring life and life to the fullest. Some of you are, are angry about that. Who do you think you are? People will be angry about that. Who do you think you are? I, I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been given all authority in heaven and earth and has give, given me the authority of heaven and earth because of what he bought for me. He's given me life. He's given me life to the full. And he's given me a mission to share that with other people. He's given you that mission. He's given you that authority. He's given you that power. And so he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on mission. I want you to do only what the Father does. I want you to do this based on our relationship. He didn't call his followers. He called his disciples. It's the mission of heaven and earth. He says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to baptize. What does that mean? He said, I want you to bring life to people. What is baptism? Baptism is a symbol of new life that has come. It's a symbol of dying to our old life and being raised into new life. He said, listen, I want you to go with new life. I want you to go with presence. I want you to bring the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness. I want you to bring life to places of death. And then he says this, I want you to teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. What does that mean? It means discipleship. Listen, we've gathered in this place so that we can learn his commands, but his commands are not just for us to live our lives by. He has literally called us to teach these to others. And he says this, I'm with you always. Be sure of this, I'm with you always. I will be with you. My presence is with you. Bow your heads with me for just a minute if you would. Some of us in here have never surrendered our lives to Christ. We don't know what it is to have life in Jesus. Or maybe you did this a while ago and you've been running from God or wanting to live your own way and you, you know you are not in relationship with God right now. Whether you've never done this or you're running from him, today's the day that you can come to him and you can receive the life that he talked about. You can receive the eternal life, the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus. You can hear his voice today and live. It's very simple. You simply believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the son of God that he came and lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, that his blood actually matters for you and me. And you receive the life that he gives. And you, have to, and you decide that he's the Lord of your life. You'll live on mission. And if you're here this morning and you would like to do that, 
I just want to give you an invitation to do that. Life is coming to you today in a fresh new way. If you're here this morning and you'd like to surrender your life to Christ, like to receive his gift of salvation, I want you to do something brave to acknowledge that he's Lord and that you're willing to receive that gift. Would you just raise your hand so I can see it? Is there anyone here this, this morning? Church, let me challenge you with this then. If there's nobody here that hasn't heard the gospel, are we really living on mission? I, I get it. There are other ways to, to share Christ with people. It's not just in a church service. But one of the most powerful and effective ways you can invite somebody to experience the presence of God is to invite them to church. They will hear the message of the gospel. They'll sense the presence of the Lord. And life will come. So church, let me challenge you. You can open your eyes. Just look at me. I want to challenge you. Can I challenge you as your pastor who loves you? Let's fill this place with people who don't know him. This is not a country club for the saved and the righteous. And if it is, I want to go, to, I want to go and pastor another church. But here's what I believe. I believe you don't, you don't want that either. That's, I really believe that about you. That we are not a body that wants to just come and do our religious thing and be good and everybody else out there is dying and going to hell. We want to be a place where people come who don't know him and they come to know the living God. So I want to challenge you, especially in these next few weeks, can we fill this place with people who don't know him? Will you do, will you, will you do that? We live on mission. You don't have to drag them here. Please don't trick them. But just invite them. Come and meet. Come and meet Jesus. Come and encounter Him. You're not inviting them to a church. You're not inviting them to hear a good preacher. You're not inviting them to hear some good music. You're cer- certainly not inviting them to a church that's about a Christmas program. <laughs> You're inviting them to meet Jesus. Let me ask you this. Eyes wide open, encountering God for real. Want to live, do you want to live your life on mission? Do you want to be all about God's presence and all about being a disciple who makes disciples? If that's you here this morning, I want you to stand. Don't do it because other people are doing it. Don't do it because the pastor's making you feel guilty. Don't do it because it'll get you out of here quicker. If you're willing to live your life on mission, this is, this is a solemn act. Not between you and me, but between you and the Lord. I will give my life to something other than me. Jesus, we've spent too long and too much time living for ourselves. We're so grateful that you came and lived lived on mission and continue to live on mission that you're continuing to bring us your presence, that you promised you'd be with us always. Thank you that you've given us a clear understanding of our call to make disciples. So Father, we say yes to that call. We surrender our will, just not, in this, not just in this moment, but also when we walk out. We ask that you would continue the process of burning away everything in our lives that takes us away from the mission you've called us to. We pray that we w- this would happen as we behold you. This would happen as we are with you. That you would continue to draw your people into mission. We pray that we would be able to give testimony that our nourishment comes from doing your will and completing your work. That when we stand before you and we're asked, what do you do here? We can answer with, 
I'm here to experience God, to know him and to make him known. I'm here to be a disciple who makes disciples. We would answer it with confidence. We'd answer it with truth. We'd answer it with joy because our lives have been lived on mission. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Dan's coming now to close us. I pray that as you live on mission, you would find the greatest joy, the greatest empowerment, the greatest peace, and the greatest satisfaction in knowing that you're cooperating with God and living on mission. God bless you. Thank you, you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just a few reminders before we dismiss with prayer. The ushers are in the back for giving. Guests, you're under no obligation whatsoever to give, but if God has done something in your life and you want to worship him, honor him, you're certainly welcome to give. Your giving options are on the screens. For extravagant giving, please use the designated envelope or give online. Uh, For our guests, we uh, really invite you, encourage you to visit Guest Central in the lobby. Small groups are about to break for the winter, but it's time now to start looking to get involved in a group or leading a group. Call the office, get some information, go online. Next Thursday night, this coming Thursday, will not be our regular Thursday night service. It's an IM4 service. We're going to be participating with the church down in Alabama. So we want you to be here 7 o'clock. I am for men's night. Women, stay home. Prepare some good food for your men so you can welcome them properly when they get home. Or don't. Uh, Christmas Eve service is Tuesday, December 24th, 7 o'clock. It's our candlelight service. And something special coming up after that. Wonder Why Sunday on the 29th of December. Submit your questions on the sheets in the lobby or do it on the website or on our app. And... The last thing, prayer teams are available for you on either side to pray with you, to agree with you in prayer. Don't leave this place having a need unmet. If there's something in your life you need agreement in prayer, there's people that will pray in faith for you. One can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. There's power in unity in prayer. Father, thank you for this great word. Thank you for sending us, Lord, the same way you were sent to bring life and hope and peace and salvation into the lives of other people that don't deserve it just like we didn't deserve it, Lord. Use us as vehicles, as vessels of your love. Lord, in this season when people's hearts are tender, give us the wisdom. Show us. Speak to us, Lord, as we ask who to invite, how to do it, when to do it, how to make them feel welcome, how to tear down the barriers. Lord, use us for your glory. Send us into the world you died for, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.